I just want it to be known that I was not recording and we did half of our check-in and then suddenly I looked and did not see the recording button flashing at me. Bloody hell. Don't you hate it when that happens? Oh, my God. I've got a sick feeling in my stomach, but it's okay. We'll do it again. And Anna's getting water and I'm getting water. Hi, Barry. <laughs> Hi, Anna. So nice to see you today. I love the new recording studio that you've got set up there. <laughs> yeah, I was saying to Anna before, I've, told, I've already dobbed myself in. I've told everyone that I wasn't actually recording and that we're starting again. <laughs> uh, I'm on the floor of my study. Um, which looks like a new recording studio, but I'm sitting underneath the table <laughs> on the floor with a professional microphone and head headset, which Anna's feeling very jealous about. Yeah. You... Actually, it looks like you're sitting in a cupboard with a schmutter dicker curtain. <laughs> I'm happy to call it a recording studio. You thought I looked professional, Anna. Tell the truth. Can you hit here in the microphone? Let's <laughs> check in. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. Okay. So checking in. Hmm. Um, you know, it's a mixed check-in as I have felt through much of this period of challenges and opportunities sort of coming up at the same time. I feel like uh, we're definitely reintegrating. Uh, where, you know, we just are. Um, more people on the street, people starting to go back to work, people starting to talk about things. Um, but I'm really not sure whether what we're coming back to is something that we've chosen or, and created or whether it's kind of being imposed. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm seeing things are opening up but very slowly and we can't travel, we certainly can't travel overseas for another 6, 12, 18 months, who knows how long, and we can't gather in the way that we used to. And the, I think the whole economic uh, impact, we really haven't even hardly started feeling. So I'm quite uncertain and have a level of trepidation as to what we are coming back into. Um and I'm feeling that on a personal level as well, you know, given that I have people who work for me on my land and in my business and I don't know what the future is going to be like and how I'm going to be able to continue that and support that side of my life. So that's quite a big one. Um, but I'm also, I've had a week up here on my own because Katrina went back with the kids to uh, the youngest has started school. And, and there's part of being on my own that I've enjoyed and part of it's been really lonely after a house full of people. And now I'm about to go down to Sydney and I'll be in a small house with half a dozen people, you know, all on the phone and, and working and, and, and I don't know how that's going to be. I actually don't know. And, and, and rather than flying to Sydney, which I would normally do, I'm going to drive because I think it's a driving time rather than a flying time at the moment. And then the final thing is that my mother, who's in Melbourne with my father and she's 89 and he's 90, is really struggling. She's just got 89-year-old woman health issues, nothing to do with corona, just her own stuff. But she's in the house and 
and she's really struggling and she's really down in the dumps and that's very challenging to have her there and not be able to really support her. So I need to think about what I do there and whether I actually continue driving past Sydney and go down to Melbourne. And Yeah, come and stay here. Come stay with us. Well, yeah, thank you. I appreciate the offer. I know there's always a bed there, so thank you. But, you know, so there's a lot of different things going on at the moment. That That's my check-in. Yeah. Um, that's big. Yeah, I, I, as I was sharing with you before, I'm in such a mixed state of feelings, both feeling really this longing for and sadness about the loss of lockdown, preciousness, that which was precious about it, um, the pace and the peacefulness for obviously those of us privileged enough to really have that encounter with lockdown. It was, there was so much in that that was creative for me and alive and the fact that everyone was on the same vibration who was tuning in that felt just precious, remarkable. And now as we go into reintegration, my kids start school on Monday. I'm both really longing for quiet and for no one to interrupt my day of Zoom calls and for them to have their own space and be with their friends. I'm like, I want all of that for them. And I don't feel afraid of reintegration physically because we're so lucky here in Australia to have such low numbers and to have gotten ahead of the curve the way we have. So it's like privilege layer upon privilege layer that I'm hugely aware of and grateful for. But also heavy-hearted about the future. Like, how do we reintegrate? What are we reintegrating to? Have we been conscious about this shift? It's all focused now on um, the health of the populace and the economy, the health of the people and the health of the economy. But there haven't been deep enough public discourse conversations about the well-being and of of all of us and what we take with us from this transformational time. I'm worried about the clash of values as we rebuild. Uh, What are we rebuilding? Because I don't know if anybody wants to go back to higher emissions and um, being worn out by the treadmill of the old economy and the old system. So holding my breath a little bit and also excited. I want to see everyone. I want to, you know, I love feeling the life force of all of us out there doing fun things and, and building the world together. I just want us, would love us all to be on the same page about the world we're rebuilding as we reintegrate. Yeah. Again, and in addition to that, is it's interesting during the height of lockdown, in a funny sort of way, we had certainty, which is we're home, we're with our family. We get up in the morning, we don't go out, we make do with what we've got. We're in our container, in our box. Mm. And with the beginning of reintegration, that box, that container has been opened mm. and we're sort of looking around and going, oh, you know, what's out here? What, what, what's going to be different? What's going to be the same? How do I feel? Um, and that's all very... That's significant. 
you know, I thought, you know, having all the family up here was great and it was challenging. I thought, oh, once they go, I'll have my space again and I'm really going to enjoy that. My truth is they've been gone for a bit over a week and I reckon my sort of mood level has been down. I've been a little bit flat since they've gone. Like all of a sudden being alone is not actually as attractive as it was in the past. Hmm. Um, so everything is kind of um, newly written, you know, in a sense. But definitely I share your concern around whether we have really um, gained the lessons that have been on offer during this period and whether we are going to be able to genuinely integrate those things that we've seen are so necessary for a healthy future or whether uh, the outcome is going to be very different from that. Yeah. I guess that's such a great frame. Uh, it's You and I, Nate, we were going to finish in the last um, recording, but Nate wanted us to have another conversation today as like a two-parter on reintegration. I guess it would be really good to talk about the tools for how to do that, how we can individually do that to kind of strengthen the fabric of absorption, like to yeah. name those lessons and um, to integrate or to metabolise them so that we do take them with us into the future. Uh, uh, what's your guidance around reintegration? What could you and I just do to distill and hold on to the healthy lessons we learnt in transformation? In my experience, um, we gain the insights into what we want to change during the transformation and then we come out into reintegration and we have a period of time during which we either implement those changes or we don't. And if we, if we implement them, things change. And if we don't, it's very hard. The further you get away from the actual transformational period, the harder it is to actually make those changes. Now, we are still in the window of opportunity for making changes. That, that's a really critical thing to know. If we were doing this podcast in three months, six months and saying, um, you know, did we make the changes? Can we still make them? Yes, but it's much harder. So I think it's very important for people to know we're still close enough to it and still enough in it to be able to really make the changes that we've seen and we've decided we want to do. So then it comes down to I always believe we have to start as individuals. We have to take personal responsibility for our own changes, our own things that we're going to do differently. And then hopefully we can support and influence as many people around us and in our circles as possible to create their own changes. So, you know, really at this moment it comes down to, you know, what are you going to do, Barry? What am I going to do, Anna? And let's, you know, let's name it. Barry, tell me, what do you feel? Because I know we've had this discussion before and when we were right in lockdown you were talking about things that you were going to change or wanted to change. But now that you're here, 
you know, are you able to name and identify some concrete things that you're clear that you're still aiming and intending to do differently? Shit. I feel like I'm going down a massive chute, like a fast slide. And on that slide, I would say I'm losing and dropping all of the potency of of this time we've just been in. I think in my longing for things to get back to normal, quote unquote, without anything being back to normal, I'm finding it hard to name and locate what you're talking about. And when you were talking, I was thinking, you know, being in Melbourne versus being in Byron Bay, for example, the accountability to core values was held by our whole town, by the whole town of Byron, the Shire, the whole kind of area. The values had been held by the Shire for many decades and all of our friends. So the way you live on your property up in Mullumbimby is so profoundly inspiring. It's so out of the box. When we came to stay over at your place, we stayed in a teepee outside. Like, that's not a very Melbourne thing to do. And everything shifted for me in the accountability network up there. And it shook the foundations of what was normal. And I worry that in coming back to Melbourne, I'm, I'm slipping hard and fast back into what's normal for Melbourne. Even though I live here in Byron Bay in the way I do, completely sustainably, solar, collect our own water, compost everything, I'm still slipping as well. And the opportunity here is for two people who are both slipping to say, hang on, what if we just arrested the slide for a moment, took a couple of breaths and went back and said, all right, what were the things that we said and saw how relevant are they? And by bringing them back into our conscious state, can we actually focus on them, you know, and implement them? Because this is where the whole community support side of things comes in, by doing this in pairs, in groups, in families and reminding ourselves and then creating habits around it. We actually give ourselves a greater chance of doing it rather than just finding ourselves lost and not even thinking about it. So I invite you, and I'll do it as well, and everybody listening to actually spend some time and go, okay, been reintegrating for a while now, and yes, there's been lots of other things come in, but what are those things that I hold dear that I realised during the time of lockdown? I'm feeling pressured to remember my good self. I make no apologies for pressuring you, Beth. <laughs> okay, so um, one of the key things that I promised, well, I didn't promise myself, but I definitely said it on this podcast with you, was the distillation of an awareness of my own gift and that I wanted to continue to lean into and foster and nurture loving community. And uh, to honour my creative life as a sort of central engine for my well-being and my family's well-being. And that would mean in the reintegration that that is what is prioritised in my work schedule so that whatever's coming at me from the outside world 
it's going through that filter first and that will help me with yes or no answers, you know, do I do it, don't I do it, what should my day look like? And I would add another thing and this is going to be the hardest one. I almost, I reckon this will be hard for everyone, super, super hard for me, but spaciousness, how to retain a sort of tender, soft spaciousness in the reintegration and what what is the recipe of that? And I think I'm hearing in my own head that there's shame there. So, so culturally in the lockdown, we were given permission to slow down, to become spacious, to get soft and tender and sensual. Remember I said in one of our check-ins I was feeling really sensual and alive? I can not forget. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was because of spaciousness, but it was permission was given from the culture to do that. And now that we're going back into reintegration, there's shame in rest and spaciousness and all those things. So how to kind of resist that pull into an old story and to align with spaciousness and rest and softness as a key value. Thank you. Well, that was your one. For me, the one that I would share is really around family and to really commit to spending time with family unagended. So just because they're family, not spending time with my son because I want to talk to him about something or there's something in particular I want to do with him, but just spending time with him purely and simply because he's my son and not having any, you know, even time frame or reason. You know, I went for some walks with him on the beach up here he said, what did you want to talk about, Daddy? And I said, I don't know, nothing. I just want to be with you. And I could feel how he softened into that. And I could feel how important that was for him. So, yeah, really my biggest learnings have been around family. And even on top of that, all the different dynamics of family and how um I really have a role in the family, which is, you know, I'm one of the elders, I'm a father figure. Uh, it's not fair and equitable in family. You know, kids don't do as many dishes when you're in family. Kids don't clean up behind themselves in family. And, you know, I've learned I can fight for that to happen and it's stressful and unpleasant and uh you know, there's not a lot of joy or I can actually focus more on the love and, and affection and conversations and if things are a little bit messy but that's what we get instead, it's a very good deal. We, we need to name the things we're going to change to bring them back to life. Every time we name them, talk about them, visualise them, share them, it actually gives them energy rather than them sort of being forgotten and ending up in the bottom of our psychological cupboard somewhere yeah great so do traditional communities find reintegration hard from a rite of passage i mean one of the things is just being so liminal when you're in the transformation phase is the reintegration always hard well 
I think it's always good to look back on traditional communities and see what they did as a sort of a learning and something to aspire to. And the thing about a rite of passage in a traditional community is that it was considered a whole community process. So even though only a small portion of the community would go away and it might have been, you know, the boys or girls going away to do their rite of passage and become young adults or it might have been the grown-ups going away and doing their time and their rite of passage to become an elder. But the thing is, when they came back, generally speaking, the whole community would have either been there or been aware and they actually had very good structures and processes to know that someone had been through that rite of passage and then there would be a role and a new position in the community that that person would then step into. And the, the concern or the, the thing with what's happening with us is it hasn't been a guided transformational process that we've been through. We haven't had wise elders saying, yes, I've been here before, I know the stages and, you know, we'll be there at the end for you and we'll bring you out, et cetera, et cetera. You know, our sort of leaders have been the government, um, the chief medical officers, um, there hasn't really been much guidance from uh, big business, I would say. Um, and so, you know, I think there's been varying levels of frustration with, uh, you know, things that have come from the government. Um, I think the medical fraternity, you know, has in the main done things fairly well, but we're now sort of seeing a lot of pushback of people saying, well, you know, we need to stop worrying so much about the health aspects and the economy's becoming more of a priority. So there's no, but there's arguments around that and more and more people talking about conspiracy theories. And this is all signs of there not being clear leadership in the whole process. Um, and that's why I would say we are finding this reintegration increasingly difficult, whereas that wouldn't necessarily have been the case in a traditional community. I just have this um, vision of what it would be like if there was really clear signposting, like what you're talking about is seeing reflected back at us the enormity of the experience we've just had, not driven by agenda and politics and, you know, stimulus packages, but if there were billboards up on the streets that said, we're all feeling a bit tender today, it's okay. <laughs> You know, an acknowledgement that that this has been such a an enormous psycho spiritual shift, and that we're, that we're all going to feel an enormous dissonance and shock reintegrating if none of that is reflected back at us. We go back into if every effort is made to appear as the world was before, we're gonna lose our way because there's part of us that of course really longs to return to childhood in for a lot of us you know but but we've been through something and we're different now and we do need to see that mirrored back to us not through collapsing economies but repaired ecologies like yeah Yeah. repaired inner lives how can we how can we make that scene well, the other thing that I am really hoping that we will see 
is this word that this expression that's been coming up to me more and more, which is an intergenerational collaboration. And I know we've talked briefly about this before, but I want us to get to a place where all the generations are actually communicating and supporting each other because I think we've really moved to a place where each generation lives separately. The teenagers live in their world in their rooms. The parents live in their world in their um, workplaces and, you know, maybe with some friends their age. And the grandparents live in their world, um, you know, which may be on the golf course or in their RVs or whatever they're doing. That's a simplification, but, you know, there's a lot of that happening. And my hope is that we move to a place more where everybody's actually working and, and socialising and living together. And we've got a long way to go. But also moving back to what you said about a traditional community and the integration afterwards, one of the big differences is that in a, in a traditional community, it was a lot more stable and so the same rite of passage would happen time and time and time again for thousands of years. And they really knew how to manage it and they knew how to integrate it. When we're talking about a global rite of passage, each time it's like the world is growing up or the world is moving to a next stage and we've never actually been through that before. And so the ability to have leaders to take us through that is a lot more difficult, especially when we don't have elders who are functioning as elders. We have older people, but we don't have a lot of elder energy going on. And I think that we are really feeling the, uh, the deficit of elders at the moment. Can you say more about how you understand elder energy as, a as opposed to older people? I mean, one of the big energetics of elderhood is to be able to sit with uncertainty um, and actually knowing that things are going to end. I think a lot and, and are going to change. I think a lot of people prior to this pandemic have just felt that these good times are going to go on forever. You know, we'll always have plenty and we'll always be okay and, you know, and we don't even have to work for it. We can just keep taking and taking from the world and treating it the way we do and polluting it and, you know, trashing the, the environment and, and we'll be okay. Nothing will change. Someone will work it out. Whereas elders know that it doesn't actually work that way. Um, and so I, I, I think they would have held a really good energy there. And I think elders also hold an exceptionally good energy with the young in supporting the young, in being able to see the young and in sharing their stories and their experience and their knowledge with the young. And I know a number of times we've talked about, and I have no problems mentioning again as a beautiful example, the relationship that your daughter, Willow, has with your mother and those two will have a relationship with each other like they don't have with anyone else and willow's relationship with your mother will be completely different from your her relationship with you where you know your role is to sort of try and keep willow kind of you know 
on the straight and narrow and going to bed when she's supposed to go to bed and eating her meals when she's supposed to eat her meals, whereas your mother's role is so different. Your mother's role is to share stories from 50, 60, 70 years ago and to see Willow's beauty and her and her spirit and you know and, and you know how incredibly special that is. It's fascinating we're talking about this with reintegration. We're talking about intergenerational dialogue and connection as somehow being essential to this reintegration process. I feel, and maybe it's because you and I have been in dialogue through this whole time, but I really feel there's something really big here because there's such inequity in the world right now. What we've seen happen in the lifetime of the baby boomers who were the children born after that period of trauma. They were born in the second part of the 20th century. So they didn't go through polio. They were they were the the hope that came out of polio, World War One, World War II, the Spanish flu, etc. They were born into a time of ease and plenty, which was their birthright, having parents who lived through so much trauma. And now here we are 70 years later or more, 70, and the crisis that we're coming out of and that we're going back into, the breakdown of social structures so that the generations are not in dialogue but they're in battle seems somehow really key to the healing that's required for us to reintegrate well because those narratives are in such fierce opposition and competition. I can feel that coming. Yeah. I mean, how amazing would it be to talk to elders about 10 years after the end of the Second World War? They are conversations that we should be having. Find out what it was like after, you know, so many people died and so many things have been destroyed and, and how people dealt with that situation. And, I mean, look, as terrible, and we say it's just been this big crisis and, um, you know, terrible things have happened in COVID, but a lot of the people who've died, and it's a tragedy that have died, but have been elderly. In the wars, you know, generations of young people were, were killed. You know, our children mm. would have been firing line, and, and not just tens or hundreds or thousands, millions of them. And cities were destroyed. Uh, we have been incredibly fortunate to have missed something so catastrophic. And it, it has been an interesting observation for me in my life and in my work that often the people who have been through the greatest crises in their lives actually have the most strength and have the most practicality and the most resilience. And I see others who've had these really blessed, so-called blessed, fortunate, privileged lives, and as soon as something becomes a little bit difficult, they kind of fall apart and don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, I, I very much doubt that the, the COVID pandemic uh, is actually the worst thing you and I are going to deal with in our lifetimes. Um, but it is definitely a great opportunity for us to start learning about how we deal with adversity and things not going completely according to our so-called scripts. One of the thoughts I had while you were talking before was whether at Dumbo Feather we should be creating 
you know, with you guys at the Rites of Passage Institute, some kind of community check-in that we can hold each other accountable to the gifts that came from the transformation period. We name it and we keep somehow showing up to return to each other and to hold those values true. That might be a thing worth doing. Yeah, it would be a fabulous thing. You know, even the stuff you and I talked about earlier in this um, uh, podcast that, you know, if people really knew and if it was you're sort of almost wearing it around your neck, you know, I'm going to get into community love more and I'm going to really honour and work with my gifts and people knew that's what you were doing. Then when they saw you, they'd say, oh, Barry, how's it going with your community stuff and how's it going with your gifts and you need some support and you need some help and Anna, you know, tell us something that you've done with your family that's been non-agended or, you know, I, I think it's a fantastic idea to, there's nothing like people having to make commitments and be accountable for them for increasing the likelihood of them actually happening. And they can start with quite superficial things and I imagine would get deeper and deeper the more trust there is in those communities. Yeah, I'd actually start with quite deep things and then go even deeper and deeper, but yes. I'm with you. We'll just go deep. We'll just do. So we've got, uh, we've got a question. We've got a couple of questions here. Should we answer some of them? Or you probably a better sure. position. Um, this is a question from Elizabeth Robinson and she asks, in terms of the rites of passage, if you go away and have a certain changing experience and you come back to share that experience and the knowing you gained from it only to have no one to hear about it or celebrate it, does that stunt the rite of passage process? Does that rite of passage process require that community integration for it, for it to be fully integrated into the self? Great question. It's a huge question. So first of all about... You go away, you have this life-changing experience, you come back, you've got no one to share it with. Does that stunt it? Well, there's a great danger that it does stunt it. And I talked earlier about um, having gone overseas when I was 18, greatest year of my life, how I grew up, how I, how I had amazing adventures, relationships, everything, and I came back and no one wanted to hear about it. People just wanted me to be the old Anna and how distressing and depressing I found that to be, whereas what should have happened is there should have been my whole community there, my family, my friends, I should have had a dinner, I should have shown all my pictures or slides, talked about my adventures, and then people would have really known and seen me differently and that would have been a much healthier integration. So it's a problem when there's no community. However, if we know there should be community, then we can actually potentially create it. So if we're going to do something like that, if we tell the people who are closest to us, our families, our partners, even our friends, and say to them, you know, when I come back, I want an opportunity to share it with you. I need to be able to speak to someone. If we know we have to be creating reintegration processes, we have a much better chance of being able to do it well as opposed to if we have no idea and we just you know, go away and then we come back and we can't understand why, you know, a week after being on a life-changing event, we feel terrible and everybody sees us just like we always used to be. Remember how you hinted, though, that we can create rituals and things for ourselves. If you really are alone, could you, like, 
light a candle in the dark in front of the mirror and pretend to witness yourself? <laughs> sure, you can do it. In, look, it's great. It's, I love the creativity. Yes, if that's what you need to do. So I have done rituals on my own knowing there would be no one to hear but absolutely ensuring for myself that a change did happen and whether I do it by writing it in my diary or just even just having the consciousness that despite the fact that there's not going to be anyone here to witness this, that I'm going to ensure that these changes remain. So a lot of it, you know, comes down to being conscious about what we do. And sometimes I'll be doing something and I'll write or draw what I am getting from it and then I'll put that somewhere where a week, a month later I can, I can come back and read it. I'll stick it up on the wall or something like that. So absolutely there are ways that we can do it if we recognise it's critical to be done. I'm also thinking, and I hadn't really, which is, I was going to say it's bad, but it's neither bad nor good. Um, I'm just thinking that on Sunday before the kids go back into school on Monday, we should have a ceremony. Absolutely. My suggestion would be to share some of the, ho- the stories and the highlights or memories of the time you've had together, to share some of the um, uh, what have been the challenges for them around it, to talk about what they've enjoyed about it, to see whether um, they feel like there are things that they want to let go of and they don't want to take into the next stage of their lives about, you know, their own behaviours and also to see things that they do want to do differently and now that they're, you know, more grown up. By the way, this goes for the parents as well. Mm -hmm. All of us. And then you could do an honouring of them where you recognise and acknowledge, you know, their gifts, their genius, their spirit, the things they've done well, what you've been proud of about them, what you've loved about them. And um, we could invite up to, in Melbourne, five people to join that circle. Yeah. Well, I think of one, which is Grandma, your mother. Yeah. Um, don't know. Yeah, I don't think you want to invite people for the sake of it, but if they're really key, important people who are in your children's lives and your family's life, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that makes me happy. I'm excited. That's the sort of thing I think we're all talking about, like how do we mark the transition moments and the end of one thing and the beginning of another. It feels like worth our time so I'm going to think about that I really want to light a fire outside in the garden and for all of us to sit outside it's really cold here in Melbourne I'm looking at Anna he's wearing a beanie so it's cold up there too um in the northern rivers and I think that really holding the space and keeping it sacred is something I do want to do I hadn't thought of it thank you great we have another question and that is Ella is a really long, beautiful email about Ella having these huge things happening in her life, an engagement, a death, a conception, a new life about to arrive. With so many things happening all at once, it felt like they were cancelling one another out. With such an overwhelm of emotional rites of passage, how can we allow time, even now, to process each one and give it the respect 
time and concentration that it needs in order to move through that rite of passage. So her question is, are there rites of passage that can leave other rites of passage behind? Yeah, it's a great question and it speaks to one of the uh, challenges and beauties of life, which is that it doesn't all sort of get uh, dealt out in an even structured manner. And the reality is sometimes in a short period of time, multiple events that are all life-changing will happen one after another. And, you know, you can look at that as three, three different rites of passage or four different rites of passage or just one big rite of passage. And, you know, this is where we need to get creative and think about it and go, well, you know, am I able to dedicate time and the energy needed to each of these? Or do I have to try and do it in one go and go, all right, so many things have happened. Where can I find space to get a half a day, a day, a weekend, whatever it is I need to really, really acknowledge what's gone on, find the learnings, see the challenges, create the vision and, and recognise what I am being called to through all of this. So I don't know Ella's life circumstances and work and living situation, but my suggestion would be, you know, if you can find some space for yourself, and, you know, more space I always find is better, but you might only be able to get an hour or two or you might be able to get a half a day or a weekend or whatever, but really get some space and then just spend time reflecting on all of these different things and, and, and the learnings and the lessons and the challenges and then, equally important, spend some time thinking about how do you want to be going forwards, what's your vision, what, what do you want to let go of, uh, and doing that well, and hopefully then even able to spend some time in gratitude of yourself and your life, um, then I do believe that you can do something very powerful that will have impact and really support you and help you move to the next stage in you know, an even better way. Beautiful, Anna. It's just bringing a bit of consciousness to the field. It just reminds me of something that I say often to my kids, um, to myself as well, which is life is happening for us, not to us. And when we're in overwhelm and exhaustion, it can be really hard to do anything other than scroll Instagram or Netflix because you just haven't got that extra and it's just about honouring the bigness of what we've all been going through to just carve out a little bit of space for the sacred and to do it consciously because that little bit of consciousness given, like for me, Sunday, lighting the, bonf the bonfire in the back garden and, and sitting with the kids and grandkids, that's meaningful, that's worth me spending a bit of time making a couple of phone calls and making that happen. Absolutely, yeah. What are you going to do to mark this time as we reintegrate? I haven't actually decided, but I have been feeling a call to do something. Um, and I was on the river this morning paddling, stand-up paddling completely on my own and thinking about it and then I ended up just getting lost in the beauty of the river and the reflections of the trees and things. But I know I need to do something 
And I, I'm actually driving to Sydney in a couple of days. I may stop somewhere. I may do something here before I go. But I will commit to you that I will do something uh, because I need to. And I really feel that when I leave here on in the next few days to drive south, that will mark the end of a stage. And I definitely want to do something to, um, you know, mark that well. So thank you for the reminder. And that's great. I do these podcasts with you and I get as much out of them. And, and uh, I, I need to create that sacred uh, space that we're talking about. I wonder also if we could have a Zoom call with a whole group of friends who know how to sit in circle and um, we could do a group kind of reintegration conversation with honouring in it. That might be really nice. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, this marks the end of our rite of passage during COVID conversation. and. Who knows what conversation we'll continue to have. I've loved every minute of it and I know that everyone listening has as well. So I don't know, if you guys are digging Anna and I in conversation and have other things you want us to talk about, then write to us at digital at dumbofeather.com. And if we don't hear from anyone, that's a good sign too. (laughs) It means we did our work and uh, it's been a real privilege and an honour. And thank you all for listening and thank you, Anna, for sitting with me in the Zoom room. Thank you, Barry. And I just want to say it's been a pleasure and a treat to um, be able to talk about this topic, which is, you know, so pertinent, so real, so critical uh, now and always, and to have that time to explore it and to do it with you, Barry, um, in such a beautiful way, you have such a beautiful style of sort of drawing things out and throw your own wisdom in there and it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I look forward to whatever conversations we have moving forward. So thank you. Beautiful and safe travels south and I hope you come to Melbourne. We're waiting here for you. Thanks, Mary. Lots of love. Lots of love to you. Bye, everyone. Thank you.